Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day as we wrap up this week. Some interesting topics on the program today. We're going to get a an update on uh, the debate going on in Congress and a progress report to see if there is any progress on the ag labor issue. Uh, we keep thinking that maybe there will be some breakthrough on this, and there's been some discussion in Congress, the ag labor part of it, has really been focused on here in the last few days. We'll talk with Paul Schlegel with the American Farm Bureau Federation about that. Steve Nicholson with Robo AgriFinance will join us. We'll talk markets and uh, something we haven't talked too much about. want to start looking into because we know there's more interest in raising and growing hemp. What's the market, though, for hemp? What's the market potential? We'll talk about that with Steve Nicholson. And then Eric Boll with the Missouri Farm Bureau will join us to talk about plant meats plant-based meats there's a a burger out that's a plant that's made from plants and we're going to talk about why this is different from the old uh, tofu and things like that in the past and why this uh, is something that those in the livestock industry in particular need to really look at and not just dismiss and what is the agenda behind the the this product for these companies that's making it what are they wanting to do and uh, we're going to talk with someone who's actually uh, tasted both and what he says about the taste of it and why uh, livestock producers need to take this seriously. Eric Bull with Missouri Farm Bureau will join us a little bit later on in the program. So lots to get into, but we're going to start things off today as we've been watching and uh, going over conditions, uh, you know, closely in Nebraska and Iowa um, and, you know, looking at the flooding and in parts of Missouri, that northwest corner of Missouri. But we've talked a lot about conditions up north and snow melt and water coming down and how late planting's going to be. So let's focus on the state of North Dakota. Joining us now, my colleague Rusty Halverson, Farm Director for the American Ag Network based in Fargo. Rusty, thanks for joining us. Give us a, a lay of the land. What's it like there in North Dakota? Yeah, thanks, Mike. Uh, great to be on the show this morning. I tell you what, the last time we talked, it was uh, Monday, March 18th, and uh, today, Friday, April 5th, and things have changed a lot. Back then, Mike, we were talking about possibly a 5% chance of matching a record. It looks like we're going to be more manageable than what we were thinking uh, just a, a couple of weeks ago. Since we talked last time, Mike, we have had almost, when it comes to the Fargo Metro, we've had almost a perfect thaw cycle of just the right temperatures during the day and during the evening where we could have a more orderly melt. And it looks like we're going to have that. We're expected to crest here in the Fargo uh, Metro area uh, this weekend right around 35 feet, which is a uh, major flood, but it is manageable uh, compared to what we've been able to do in the past. But it's kind of like a winter storm, Mike, where uh, it, it's a lot different in town. It might be okay in town, but out in the countryside, we're seeing a lot of uh, river flooding and a lot of overland flooding, too, that's of a concern. What areas are the biggest concern? What about that Red River Valley area? 
Well, uh, for for the weekend, uh, what we're looking at the next couple of days, the southern third of the valley, it would appear, is going to be at least the focal point for what will be some major flooding going into the weekend. And again, when we talk 35 feet, back in uh, 2009, we were just over 40 feet. So we'll, we'll be protected. We've taken a lot of additional steps in town to mitigate flood effects. And we've got some road closures and things like that. But again, uh, from, you know, I don't want to speak on on behalf of the officials in town, but I think, again, uh, we're concerned, but this is very manageable. What about uh, planting uh, uh, prospects as far as when do you think farmers will really be able to get to the fields? Well, we're still optimistic once we, uh, you know, once we get some past some of these water issues. If we do dry out, um, I, I think a lot of guys would be optimistic to maybe go in, a, in just a couple of weeks in our area. Out in southwestern North Dakota, uh, uh, guys are scratching around from what I've heard just through the grapevine. And I do know for a fact that two golf courses are open in southwest North Dakota, so that's got to at least be a sign of spring, right? <laughs> got to be. That's right. So um, when you... What would what's a normal what's your average planting date uh, there in in your Fargo area, Rusty? Well, you know we like to get in the fields in in April, but we can we can work things all the way into uh, into May actually for a lot of our crops. And uh, you you know when you talk about late planting and wet and cold soils, we may uh, have some issues when it comes to you know reduced production possibilities later in the season obviously you don't want to get off to a a start like this but uh, you've had several guests on your show talking about the way that we left the land last fall a lot of guys didn't get the work done that they wanted to get done so we're going to be playing catch up for for a lot of folks and and in a lot of cases also your guests have talked about uh, prevent plants and and that's going to be an issue this year for not just the dakotas but uh, in many many areas i think Always kid you folks in North Dakota that you have like two weeks of summer anyway. Yeah. You know, you, yeah. you have a pretty short window. And you have such a diversity of a variety of crops, don't you? Yeah, yeah, we we really do. Uh, you know, I, I don't know the numbers offhand, but when it comes to uh, North Dakota, I think we're major producers of, of someone uh, some something like nine crops. I mean, we've got everything from uh, sunflowers to flax to garbanzo beans, the things you wouldn't think about North Dakota for. We've got it up here. It's It's very diverse. All right, so if you beyond the weather and planting, which mm-hmm. really on farmers' minds this time of year, beyond that, what are some of the other issues that you're hearing farmers talk about uh, there in North Dakota that's really um, you know concerning to them? Well, you know, we're, we're worried about trade and everything that's going on uh, between uh, uh, the White House and Beijing, and also about uh, the recent talk about closing the Mexican border and and USMCA, but. One of the things we're talking about up here in the Dakotas is water management. It was earlier this week, uh, the governors of, uh, let's see, it was, I believe it was uh, Nebraska, Iowa, and uh, and, and whatnot. Uh, they talked to the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, and they say, we need to do something with management of the Missouri River. Uh, they're going to be releasing some some big amounts of water from Gavin's Point in uh, Pierce, South Dakota. That's going to be headed downstream releases uh, about 39,000 cubic feet per second earlier this week set to be about 55,000 cubic feet per second early next week they're going to be opening up other dams and and that's going to go down to our neighbors to the south so uh, that's something that i think is not just on the minds of people around here but uh, downstream too 
And you get into those talks, you find out there are a lot of different perspectives on how the rivers ought to be managed. Yeah, oh my gosh, and and that's where neighbors can disagree with neighbors. And uh, we've got a big, wide audience, and uh, it's a big topic to cover, that's for sure. Well, Rusty, thank you for the update, and uh, I know you got to get back. You got to get back to do some markets. Thanks for being with us. Yeah, thank you, Mike. Thanks for having me on. We'll talk to you again. You bet. Thank you. you bet. It's my colleague at the American Ag Network, Rusty Halverson, farm director for the American Ag Network, does a great job of covering agriculture up in that region and a great job covering the markets, uh, as we'll have him on uh, more in the future to keep us updated on how spring goes in that part of the country. And uh, we continue to watch uh, weather conditions around, especially the Midwest, but other parts of the country are really having some challenges as well. A big challenge that uh, the country faces in general, agriculture in particular, the labor, the ag labor situation impacted by the immigration policies. We're going to talk about that next with Paul Schlegel with the American Farm Bureau Federation. Stay with us here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Missouri Farm Bureau President Blake Hurst joins us. Flooding and recovery efforts in the final analysis, whether it's because of mistakes by the core or climate change or an act of God, the one thing we know for sure is that these floods are happening more often and they're more severe when they do happen. So we have to get a new plan. Increasing flood storage in the reservoirs, that's a man that's a decision. We decide how much we decide how many feet of flood storage we want there to start the spring flooding season with. That's got to be increased. We've got to look at uh, making sure the river channel is clean. We've got big deposits in places along the river, uh, much less uh, channel than we had maybe 10 or 20 or 30 years ago. Uh, we've got levees that we always repair them right back where they were again. We've got to improve the system. So uh, I guess our focus is going to be talking about changes that will make the future safer. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. You're going to need me. You're going to need us. All of us. You're going to need our technical skills. Our math. Our engineering skills. You're going to need our help with your water. Your air. Your food. You're going to need our organizational skills our problem-solving skills. You're going to need our determination, our honesty, our compassion. You're going to need the next generation of leaders to face the challenges the future will bring. And we promise we'll be there when you need us. Today, 4-H is growing the next generation of leaders. Support us at 4-H.org. Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. We create professional materials and submit them to companies who are looking for new ideas in your category. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review new ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in manual 
manufacturing your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents. We offer 3D modeling and animation, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to present client ideas to additional companies. Join people just like you who made the call to InventHelp. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 1-800-213-4556. That's 1-800-213-4556. Again, 1-800-213-4556. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Are we any closer to a breakthrough on the ag labor issue in this country? Let's talk about it with Paul Schlegel, Managing Director of Public Policy for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Paul, thanks for being with us. I know it's uh, been discussed quite a bit here lately in Congress. Uh, Any signs of a breakthrough? Um, Well, breakthrough might be a bit strong of a term, but I think we're encouraged at things that are happening. There there was a hearing a couple of days or so ago in the House of Representatives. The Immigration Subcommittee had a hearing on agricultural labor. Um, Members are talking about it. We, uh, the, the agriculture community as a whole, have been working behind the scenes with congressional offices, getting members engaged, underscoring the need for a solution. So I would say in this Congress we're making progress, yes. Are they finally, you think, getting to the point where they say, if we can't fix the whole immigration issue in this country, let's focus in on an area we can address, that being ag labor? It's an excellent question, Mike. Um, the, the, in the discussions we have, you, you, it's, I don't want to make it sound partisan, but, but uh, some of the Democratic staff may say, look, we understand ag has a problem, but there are other issues such as DACA and temporary protected status and the broader questions. Um, and they, there's maybe some push and pull internally to say, why do you need to do agriculture separately? But in point of fact, the chairwoman of the Subcommittee on Immigration, Zoe Loughran from California, has indicated that she wants to address this question and uh, the agricultural labor question. So I, I do think we have a little bit of momentum on our side to, to say, look, in an economy where the unemployment rate is so low, the labor shortage in ag is so acute, we need to look at this. So I, I, I think it's a good question, but I think we're making headway there as well. What is being proposed, what, what is being discussed in Congress to address the issue? Well, um, we have, uh, there is a bill uh, Congressman Lofferman has introduced uh, that would address the question of the uh, on, on illegal status of a number of people currently working in agriculture and everybody recognizes that is an element of any final solution we have to take care of our current workforce what is not and this is equally if not more important what has not been yet put together is a work an agriculture guest worker program you remember we had the good that bill in the last congress and that was a fairly elaborate new system that was set up a new h2c program what the Congresswoman and her staff has said after this hearing they want to sit down with people on both sides of the aisle, Republicans, Democrats, and put together something that reflects our needs. Now, historically we know there are differences of opinion about what that program ought to look like, 
but that's not to say we're not going to be aggressive and active participants in, in articulating the need. And, you know, we're all going to put our shoulder to the wheel and, and see what we can come up with and, you know, keep our fingers crossed and hope we can get something that's better for our members. The immigration issue is obviously very divisive in this country. But on, when if you focus down to ag labor, is there more bipartisan uh, uh, support for getting something done, you think? Yeah, I do. I think you're right. There, There is a recognition, I think, among members, policymakers on both sides of the aisle, that there's a, a uniqueness to the agricultural situation for several reasons. Number one, our products are not widgets. We don't go into manufacture a factory and make them. They're seasonal. The, the, the harvest of them is timely. Weather comes into play in a way it doesn't in other settings. So they recognize that agriculture has a very unique set of circumstances that um, that make our situation what it is. And the other uh, issue, and everyone's aware of it, is that fewer and fewer people in our domestic labor force in America want to go pick strawberries or tomatoes or milk cows. It's just not an opportunity for a number of people here. Therefore, we've become dependent to a larger degree on foreign-born workforce. And so I do think people on both sides of the aisle know that we are we are special and that we we cannot be we can't wait for a solution for the broader questions to come along we're talking with paul schlegel with the american farm bureau federation paul we often think about this issue in terms of seasonal workers you know for picking fruits vegetables things but when it comes to dairy we're talking about the need for year-round labor aren't we Absolutely. And it's not just dairy. You know, you look at the mushroom industry in southeastern Pennsylvania, that's important. Sheep herders out in the west, in Utah, Wyoming, and other states, those are year-round jobs, livestock generally. So, yes, you're absolutely correct. We think seasonal, but there is an element of agriculture that requires year-round work. And one of the fundamental principles that the Farm Bureau has been working for is to make sure that when you establish eligibility for a grower for whatever the new program is, that has to apply to any grower in any commodity, any region, any time of year. They have to know they can get a legal workforce. So the definition of ag is a key component of what we're working toward. We've talked a lot about how these jobs are not attractive to many U.S. citizens. Are they still attractive to uh, foreign workers, or are they becoming less attractive to them, too? Well, you know, one of the uh, there was a there was a forum on ag labor back in February on, on Capitol Hill, and what, if you look at the demographics, say of Mexico, which has been traditionally a source of our labor, the birth rate in Mexico is declining, the standard of living is rising, and so you're right that that, that viewed strictly as an economic opportunity, it's different today from what it was say 20 or 30 years or so ago, and traditionally, like in H2A, for instance. Um, uh, they're uh, custom combine harvesters who come from South Africa. And there there are other places around the world where people get H-2A workers. I was talking to a, a grower in uh, from Illinois just about a month or so ago, and she was working, waiting for workers from South Africa, and she was having trouble at a consulate. So people think of Mexico, but it is true that we get workers from around the world. Some have pointed to mechanization as we'll solve this someday how how much has that gap been narrowed as far as when we might get to that point not that we would ever replace all workers probably but uh to maybe lessen the the need here for the number of workers you you know um uh also a good question 
I know uh, there, there was just a story recently, I want to say it was in the Washington Post or whatever, talking about mechanization and, and how people are trying to uh, look at that as a solution. You're right. that we're ne- You can never mechanize everything. And, for instance, if you're a dairy, if, if you want to go into robotics, say that because your labor situation is tight, that's a very expensive proposition. And not all dairies can do that, especially now when the prices have been depressed for so long. So, in theory, people might look and say, well, we can mechanize our way out of this. But in point of fact, if we're if to the degree it's going to increase, we need a greater investment in uh, research and see what works. And we also have to make it affordable if people are going to do it. Those are those are key elements of that question. So we focus a lot about bringing workers in or the need to bring workers in. What about retaining them, keeping them here? Uh, because for many, retaining that workforce is a, a critical component of this. Where do we stand with that? Sure. Well, and and you're right. Um, and that's the the bill I mentioned earlier that Congresswoman Lofgren's put in. That would grant legal status to people who are working in agriculture today, as well as their spouses and children. And that that is very, very, very important to so many growers everywhere. The fact is, though, if you look at uh, our experience back in '86, when w- there was a path to legalization, the citizenships granted to agricultural workers those workers eventually leave. And, and so it's important that we have a transition and that we we acknowledge the contribution those workers have made. But we also have to recognize that's not a permanent solution. And also demographically, a lot of those workers are getting older and we don't expect them to stay in the sector you know, for an indefinite amount of time. So it's very, very important, but we can't lose sight of the fact that the future flow, what we that's what we call it, that we get a program that gives us the labor we need in the future. But you're, but you're right. That's a, that's a key element of what we're talking about. Well, the president got a lot of people's attention when he talked about closing the border with Mexico. Now he's backed <laughs> off of that. But wow, he did, he did. that would have that would have really uh, increased the urgency of this issue, wouldn't it? it yes. And our our president Zippy Duval had uh, we issued a he issued a public statement earlier in the week saying. Uh, you need to be careful about what you're doing because if you tinker with trade and commerce, and he underscored H-2A workers, because we were hearing from uh, folks, I I think it was more nervousness than it was actual. We did not receive any reports of actual workers being held up, but people were concerned that an initiative like that could have had that impact. So Mr. Duvall issued a public statement. He said, you've got to make sure, particularly with H-2A workers, don't do this. But you're right. The, the president's initial uh, uh, articulation got a lot of attention from people. All right, Paul. As always, thank you for the update. We'll continue to watch the issue very closely and hopefully some progress uh, coming soon and maybe a breakthrough finally on this. We've got a ways to go, it sounds like. But thanks for the update. Thanks. Thank you. Paul Schlegel, Managing Director, Public Policy for the American Farm Bureau Federation. We'll talk markets next with Steve Nicholson with Robo AgriFinance. And what is the, uh, the market opportunity, the market potential for him? We'll talk about that next here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. Whether you're on the road or in the field, you need more than typical number two diesel. You need a heavy-duty diesel like Cenex Premium Diesel. It comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. 
It's the diesel that keeps your equipment out of the shop and restores power by as much as 4.5% and fuel economy by up to 5%. So ask yourself, if you could be any diesel, which diesel would you be? Zenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Did you know you can listen to the latest podcast of Adams on Agriculture or hear the top news and weekend review from the American Ag Network on your Amazon Alexa? Play my flash briefing. Use the Alexa app to search for the podcast you want to play. Search for Adams on Agriculture to learn about the issues affecting agriculture each weekday. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Again. Or you can search for the American Ag Network. This is the American Ag Network Week in Review. I'm Sabrina Hill. Stay up to date on agriculture with the sound of your voice on your Amazon device. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. For the grain and oil seed sector, we have a defensive tone an hour into the trading day on this Friday. Well, it's a mix for livestock at the Merck. Livestock futures were expected to move lower Friday due mostly to the lack of any announcement of a U.S.-China summit. Mr. Trump giving a loose estimate that a summit may be announced within the next month, but traders appear unsatisfied with that claim. While speaking to reporters at the White House, the president outlined how his administration now plans to deal with his misgivings with Mexico, saying that he'll now allow Mexico a one-year warning to help the U.S. concerns on illegal immigration. For the second week in a row, no export sales reported by USDA yesterday for pork to China, casting some doubts on the narrative that China is in need of U.S. pork supplies because of African swine fever eviscerating its pig population. On this Friday morning, we are trending higher in lean hogs with the June contract up 75 cents an hour into the day at 98.57. Defensive tone to cattle futures, on the other hand. April live cattle down a dollar two at 126.52. Feeder cattle May down 60 at 149.47. Cash cattle country slow to starts on this Friday, according to the Wire Talk. In the grain and oil seed sector, soybean futures trending seven to eight cents lower. New crop November down seven and a quarter at nine thirty-two and a quarter. New crop December corn down three and a half at three eighty-eight and three quarters. Wheats Chicago July down five and three quarters at four sixty-eight. Kansas City five to six and a half cents lower. Minneapolis spring wheat new crop September five forty-three and three quarters down three cents. On Wall Street, the Dow up 40 points, S&P up 10, crude up 51. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. A powerful threat calls for a greater response. When there's a battle, bring strength. When there's a problem, seek answers. When there is doubt, give hope. Not tomorrow. Not in a few years. But right now. Some battles must be faced together. Cancer fighters stand up to cancer every day. And you can be part of this battle too. Visit StandUpToCancer.org to learn more. Together, we can save lives. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. 
information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. All right, let's talk markets. Wow, do we have a lot to talk about. I guess we could always say that, but especially now. We're talking with Steve Nicholson, Grain and Oil Seeds Analyst for Robo AgriFinance. Steve, good to talk with you. Good morning, Mike. Good to talk to you as always. Hey, you've been traveling. Where you been? What have you been seeing? Um, well, a lot, a lot of wetness. Um, you know, I, you know, I, I have been traveling. I spent all winter on the road talking to farmers, you know, primarily in the upper Midwest, um, northwestern Corn Belt. You know, I think there's, I think you said, right, there's a lot to talk about. And, you know, if we'd sat here even just three months ago, you think, well, other than the trade, there wasn't a lot to talk about. And now I think there's a lot more in the market to worry about. And I think that's kind of where farmers are. I think they're, they're worried. Um, you know, they're, they're cautiously hopeful, but they're worried. And, you know, between trade issues, uh, between markets are under a lot of pressure, um, you know, world production, in, and, and not just in the U.S., but world production looked like it's coming back this year. Um, you know, flooding, we were just talking about that off the air, um, you know, how wet it is across the, pretty much the entire Corn Belt, and, and what does the spring bring? And it's been a, you know, it's been kind of a slow spring to get started, I think, is by the way. So I, there's lots of concerns and where, and, and they're all looking, where is that opportunity, where are the opportunities for us going forward? And, and you know, that's a tough question to ask, and I think it, it's, you know, going to take a lot more we're going to have to work harder to get find those opportunities and find those little niches that can you know make us a little money and keep us alive you know to farm for another year all right so the president got everybody's attention we talked about closing the border <laughs> with mexico and then he, then yeah, he backed yeah. off the, of that saying we'll give him a year but he he again talked about how he wants to use tariffs and that's what he believes that's his tool that he likes to use i mean here we are trying to get him to take tariffs off of mexico and canada right. he's talking about doing even more that has to yeah. be unsettling to the markets well it is extremely unsettling and, and and speaking from a pure economic you know tariffs just create more i mean it's an ex, and we'll, is it, we'll do some economic 101 i mean tariffs are an externality of the market and and they're not they're not good for anyone you know, it's not like we're collecting any money for the tariffs. You know, the, the tariffs are like a tax. And so, you know, taxes tend to roll downhill. And in this case, you know, the tariff rolls kind of both down both sides of the hill. You know, it rolls, and I'm going to kind of look, you know, the producer and the, con- and the consumer have a lot in common here. The consumer ends up paying for it, and the producer gets hit on the price side for it. And, and no one really benefits from this in the middle. And it just makes, you know, and the thing that's happened, we'll pick on the soybean side with China is, it makes that supply chain much longer. It makes it more expensive. And so, like I said, you know, the consumer gets hit and paying more for, to get whatever that product is, and the farmer gets hit because he gets lower prices. And, and soybeans, we've had, you know, discussions with our friends in Canada here lately because of canola. You know, Chinese taking Canadian canola and saying, no, we don't, we're not going to take it from Richardson or Viterra. And what's happened, you know, we've had U.S. soybeans going through Canada to, to Southeast Asia and to China, and, and you wonder if that might be endangered now as well. And so the, the tariff thing, you know, I, there's been a lot of, I know there's been a lot of pressure from the administration to get what you just said. Can we just get rid of tariffs and let's talk about trade the way we should be talking about trade, not for tariffs. But uh, the president is, like you said, seems very, and he said it himself, I'm a, I'm the, I like tariffs, and I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. 
And I think if we think it's going to change, I think we probably would be mistaken to think that. Well, let's talk about China. And stop me if uh, you've heard this before, but now they're saying we're close to a deal, <laughs> maybe within four weeks or something like that. But well, this, this is all over the place, as we know. Uh, yeah. But in talking with folks lately, it, you know, we focused early on about on soybeans in this yep. trade issue with China. But it seems to me we're building a more friendly scenario about a China agreement with corn and, and corn products, aren't we? We are. I mean, we're. when I was talking to my colleague Leaf, and this has been a couple of weeks ago, Leaf is my colleague in Shanghai, and and he had, and here's the interesting part. Yes, we've been down this road before, and it seems like about every other month we're, we're close to a deal. So, you know, I, I, it's, you know, I sit in Missouri here, and so I'm sort of, you know, I got, my mother was born in Missouri, so, you know, I come a little bit from the show-me state, so show me the deal and show me what we have. Uh, just don't tell me we're near a deal. Let's show it to me and see me the details. So I'm a little cautious about that. But, you know, Leaf talked about, and he rattled off every product that we produce was on the table that the Chinese were interested in. You know, corn, soybeans, wheat, hay, uh, DDGs, you know, beef, pork, and poultry. And it's like, okay, so which are the ones? And corn rose the top, as did wheat. But, you know, that's changing a precedent um, for China has never really bought much corn from the United States. They have off and on over the years, but when you look at our total, our total you know, corn exports, China is just a, you know, a blip on the radar. So, again, it's, you know, show me that you want the corn. And, and the fact is, when you look at China geographically, you know, their best bet to buy corn is from the Black Sea area. And so they're going to they're gonna drain the Black Sea first before they drain us. And I, and I would also say one thing about the Chinese. You know, they've made a lot of promises over the years. And, and the New York Times did an article about a month ago kind of laying this out and talking about all the promises China has laid out about, you know, going all the way back to WTO days, prior to WTO days, and all the promises that things are going to do, and they never came to pass. And so, again, that's kind of where I am. Show me. Let's see, you know, when there's corn on the water and i got a check in hand, then I'll, then I'll be convinced that the Chinese are actually going to take some serious corn, corn, corn exports to the United States. And maybe they'll buy, hopefully, more ethanol, too. That, w- that would be a big boost as well. The other thing That's to right. keep That's an eye on, yeah, as we look at China, uh, they're going to have a lot fewer hogs to feed because of African swine fever. Yeah, we were just talking about that and it, among our colleagues here in North America. They are going to have a lot less hogs to feed, but one of the things you're seeing across the entire livestock network or livestock sector is a huge buildup you know, as fast as you can. Now, chicken's obviously faster than pork, and, and pork is faster than beef, but you see a huge buildup in, in animal protein sector to try to fill the, the need for protein globally because of what's happening in China with African swine fever and also in Southeast Asia. And we understand that, you know, when we look at U.S. pork processors, uh, pork processed meat processors or, you know, producers, is that, you know, a lot of those factories are already built up. And in some cases, we understand some slaughter facilities are focused only on getting meat to China. So I think that's, you know, looking, thinking about that, you know, that's good news for the grain oilseed sector because they're going to need corn and they're going to need meal to feed, whether it's chicken or pigs or cattle. Uh, to fill that gap that we have in animal protein globally. So I think that, yeah, that's a good news. But the, the concern, obviously, is that <clears throat> then you get a glut and then you get that, that crash on the other side. So right. something we have to gauge and look at. 
So we'll continue to wait and see if and when we get the deal with China. We're talking with Steve Nicholson with Robo Agri Finance. All right, Steve, before we let you go, we know more and more folks are starting to grow hemp. Others are looking at it. But the question I often hear from farmers, is there a market for it? Is there a demand for it? Can we make any money off of it? What, what is the, the, the market realities yep. of hemp? Well, there's a lot of, that's a great question, and, and there's a lot of excitement because it looks like a possibility. And there are, and the numbers from a gross margin are eye-popping. But when it depends on what you're growing. If you're growing hemp for grain or, or fiber, um, the returns are more like what we see in a, in a hay crop. And so that's, that's one. Now, if you're growing it for CBD, there is a lot more, the, again, the gross revenues are eye-popping. But it's a much it's a much more expensive crop to produce. Your your costs are like five and ten thousand dollars an acre to produce it, and it's not. Uh, I think the best thing to say it's not your grandpa's ditch weed. Um, you know, there's not certified seed. There are no registered herbicides or fungicides or insecticides for it. So it's not an easy crop to grow. And then that's assuming. It, let's say you can master all the agronomic issues. Then you have you know regulatory issues. You know, you don't have federal regulations yet. Um, you will have them for the 2020, probably for the 2020 growing season. You won't have them for this year. And, you know, we're still operating under the beta um, program of the 2014 Farm Bill. So that means you have to have permits from the states. The states have to allow uh, hemp be grown, grown in their state and, and get their regulations approved by USDA. And so that's the legal side, but then you have to find a processor, and that's the challenge is there's not a lot of people out there processing it, and they may not be one in your local area. Um, Kentucky's kind of a hotbed of, of hemp production. They've been uh, busy down there. You know, I, I'd call that kind of eastern corn belt seems to be the, the place for it. But the question is everything that we, the, infra, the data that we have, and there's very, very little data out there, so I, I would caution people. Um, if people tell you they have the data, I would be very skeptical of that. It appears that there's probably, we can oversupply that CBD market pretty quickly. Um, you know, one good good thing about producers, they what they do is they produce, and they can produce, overproduce very quickly. So there are lots of challenges, and there's lots of regulatory issues you have to get over, let alone the, the agronomic issues. So I would be, if it's a good deal, um, you probably can wait six months for regulatory, six to nine months for the regulatory um, structure to get in place. Uh, but I would tell you, you know, it's, I think it's worth being very careful. One of the, the best quotes I have seen from people in the industry, and I, I, I will read it to you, which I don't like to do, but it says, if hemp is a really good long-term opportunity, there's no harm in being methodical. And I think that's exactly the view you have to take. Um, if it is a good long opportunity, I think it is worth your while to do your research and, and get prepared for it versus just jump right in. All right. Good perspective. Thanks, Steve. Good to talk with you. Good to talk to you. Thank you, Mike. Steve Nicholson, Grain and Oil Seeds Analyst for Robo AgriFinance. Coming up next, we're going to talk about plant-based burgers. They're in the market. We'll talk about it next here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Okay, men, this is your time. Maybe you didn't choose this, but you're here now. You're going to go out there, 
and be an all-star caregiver. It's up to you. So what are you gonna do? You're gonna go grocery shopping, cook, clean, be there emotionally and physically. You gotta dig deeper. Drive them to physical therapy, doctor's appointments. Don't you forget about the pharmacy. No, you won't. Because that's what caregivers do. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. This is your time to show the world, your family, and yourself that you're tougher than tough. Now go out there and be the best caregiver this world has ever seen. Caregiving is tougher than tough. Find the care guides you need at aarp.org slash caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private Healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready and health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is 35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. And joining us now is Colin Woodall. Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. As expected, it did not pass, was the uh, vote on the uh, Green New Deal. What did you think of that? You know, EPA says that we are only 2% of the greenhouse gas emissions in this country. And we're only going to get better uh, because every day we are finding new science, new technologies that we can incorporate to make sure these animals are as efficient as possible and that we can produce as much high-quality beef as possible without having a major impact on the environment. And it's also lost on people like Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez that without a strong, healthy environment, we don't have an industry. And uh, we're trying to make sure that she, along with others, are aware that agriculture, especially the cattle business, is part of the solution. We're not part of the problem, Mike. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. I can't get my computer to work. Let me help you with that. How'd you do that? I just got techie with geeks on site. Our geeks literally come on site. No need to stop what you're doing or block off time. We come to your home, office, or wherever you are. And we don't just fix whatever computer issues you might be having. We explain and teach you along the way so you can feel empowered and then help others at home or in your office. Better yet, don't have time for tech support to come to you? Let us remote into your desktop or laptop, and one of our geeks will instantly walk you through. We offer affordable prices on our remote services and IT support. You and those in your office will never have to wait hours to have your technical questions answered. Get your free computer diagnosis today with your very own geek. Get started now and we'll help you instantly. Call 855-801-2854. 855-801-2854. That's 855-801-2854. Sometimes life is wonderful. And sometimes it's not. Cherish the good. 
but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private Healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready, and health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is $35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Plant-based burgers are in the marketplace, and you shouldn't just dismiss these if you're a livestock producer or a meat eater. You might say, oh, that this has been tried before, garden burgers and different things in the past. It hasn't caught on. This might be different this time. Let's talk about it with Eric Bowl. He is the Director of Public Affairs and Advocacy for the Missouri Farm Bureau. Eric, thanks for joining us. You did a you did a taste test on one of these new products. Tell us about it. Yeah, hey Mike, good to talk to you again. Yeah, I uh, noticed on the news uh, earlier this week that Burger King was going to be rolling out the Impossible Burger in a, in a Whopper form. They call it the Impossible Whopper, and they're doing a test market in St. Louis here in Missouri, and the the first 59 stores in the nation that are going to have it are going to be in St. Louis starting this Monday. And we've been following this trend for quite a while. Missouri led the nation last year in passing a meat labeling law to ensure that traditional meat is the only type of um, product that can use that term meat. And so since that's been such an issue we've uh, been dealing with, I thought probably ought to go taste it for myself and see what it's really like. And what did you think? Well, my real answer is it was fine. Um, I hate to say it, but I, and I love burgers. I, I have always made fun of people that like the plant burgers and stuff. My wife said, can't believe you tried one of those things. And I said, you know, it was work. I had to do it. Um, but really wasn't that bad. It, it wasn't 100% the same as a Whopper, but I'd say it was 95%. And if you hadn't told me that's what it was, I don't think I would have even noticed. Okay, so if it's that close, that makes it more of a competitor than some of these uh, products in the past have been. Yeah, exactly. That's what really struck me about it is um, I've also, you know, tried two or three of the different um, traditional veggie burgers over the years just to see what they were like, and they were gross. (laughs) They were not anything that you would mistake for an actual hamburger. Um, and that's really what is different about these is they have a different approach to making these things. They've, they've gotten millions, hundreds of millions of dollars of venture capital from Silicon Valley firms, from Bill Gates, Richard Branson, Tyson Foods um, that have been poured into these companies. They are serious about finding something that actually approximates real meat. That's the, the difference here is, you know, these Garden Burgers and Boca Burgers before were, 
marketed towards vegans and vegetarians. They were not ever meant to take over part of the meat market. These are intended to take over the meat market. Their entire goal of these companies on their mission statements is to end animal agriculture. And that is what makes it really different is they've got big money behind this. It's high tech, and they're really getting close to getting it right. That's why the livestock industry really has to to take this seriously. They can't just uh, dismiss this as another fad that's coming along. As you said, if you if you got the money behind it and if you've developed a product that is uh, that close in taste, maybe not, you know, for most of us wouldn't be on par with uh, our traditional burger, but if it's close, uh, they're going to get some traction with this. So the livestock industry is going to have to really take this seriously. Well, and it's only going to get better. You know, if this is the first... Um, their first crack at it, and it's that close that I, if you didn't tell me what I was eating, I probably wouldn't have even been able to, to notice. Then with the, the millions and millions and millions of dollars of research going into trying to get this even more close to real meat, uh, it's going to get better. And like I say, their entire goal is to put meat out of business, put the animal industry out of business. And I don't think we're anywhere near them doing that. It's a huge industry, and would take years to even um, to nibble into the market share uh, in a significant manner. But if we don't start paying attention to it now, start fighting back, it's going to be the same thing that's happened with biotechnology in the past, where we blew off the, the naysayers as a bunch of, you know, radicals or hippies or, you know, say, oh, what they're saying, it doesn't really matter because we know we're right. We know our product is better. And it ended up slowly creeping up on us and biting us in the rear. And if we don't pay attention today, that's what's going to happen to this stuff. 20 years from now, we'll be looking around wondering what happened. Yeah, and given the uh, the push right now about uh, the environment and greenhouse gas emissions and the uh, the attacks and the criticism on, uh, on, on cattle production, uh, you can see what's going to happen. There's going to be... You said there's already a lot of money behind it. You're going to get a lot of other uh, high-profile people saying, oh, this is the way you can have your burger and save the planet. That's, that'll be their, uh, their marketing uh, strategy, won't it? it? It will, and I would actually encourage listeners to, um, to go and look at some of their websites. They are good. I mean, they are very well marketed, very uh, good communications efforts to make you feel like you're doing something really good by um, investing in these companies or, or by buying their products, um, they are not going to be a half-hearted effort to take over the ag industry. They are absolutely hell-bent on completely destroying the animal ag industry and think that they are doing good work by that happening. They think that that is the way to save the planet and, and to uh, save animals because they believe that uh, animal agriculture is inherently evil. And when they have that kind of motivation behind it and the kind of money that's behind it, they're not going to stop uh, at, you know, 5% of the market. They're going to try until they get to 100%. We've got to fight back and, and show why our products are better and why, why we, the way we raise animals is good for them and for the environment. And if we don't know the, the facts to tell our story, they're going to eat our lunch. Yeah, that I think you, your point is right on. This has to be taken seriously. It's a, it creates the opportunity to to tell your story, and we got to take that opportunity and use it, uh, and not just dismiss them as uh, uh, something that's going to pass. Uh, this is, I think this is one that they're really going to have to look at, 
and and we're going to have to take them more seriously than we have in the past some of these others. Well, Eric, thanks a lot. Um, get back to eating those real burgers, okay? Well, hey, I took some heat for eating that one, but it, I needed to do it. Thanks. <laughs> well, it's eye-opening. It really is eye-opening and something we need to look at. Thank you for bringing it to our attention. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. Eric Bull with Missouri Farm Bureau. That is a topic we're going to be talking a lot more about, I think, in the future. Hey, thanks for being with us. Have a great weekend, everyone. Be sure to join us again on Monday here on Adams on Agriculture.